0: Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you will, to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Acts is the story of the church alive. It's a story of God working in an amazing way in the church and doing some great things. And we learned from the book of Acts, I I don't care who you look at as a commentary, you say this is a template, this is a model of a church that was blessed by God. Can I tell you young people that our prayer for you is that God will bless you and use you? Two things. Bless and use. That's what we want. I do not mean that we just want you to be blessed and used when you are gone from here and in ministry. We want God to bless and use you right now. I was so encouraged by a young lady who met someone and got him to come to church about a week ago and uh, the people are coming back and they're interested in what's going on. They're going to start discipleship. What a wonderful thing. What a great thing. Uh, She's being blessed and used as a student. That's great. But Acts, wonderful things happen in the book of Acts. Great things happen in the book of Acts. And we can learn from that. I'm going to point out one specific thing about the church in Acts that they did that I believe we ought to strive to do ourselves today. It's not giving. It's not soul winning. It's not listening to the preaching, all things that we should do. But one thing specifically that they did that I think would be so helpful to do right here in Bible college, to do right here in your dormitory room, to do in your place of work, to do in your place of ministry. Acts chapter one, look with me, if you will, at verse number 12 down through verse 14. They returned, then they returned they into Jerusalem for the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. Now catch this next verse here. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Look forwards, there, continued with one accord, continued with one accord. I believe that what was happening here was preparing the church for blessings. And I think if you'll grasp this one thought today, it will help to prepare you for blessings as well. Let's pray today. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the privilege of being here in this place behind this pulpit. I do not take this opportunity for granted. I thank you for Pastor Chaplin's vision for West Coast Baptist College some 27 plus years ago. I thank you for the thousands that have left this place and gone on to serve you. I thank you, Lord, for the students that came here this year by faith. And Lord, I pray you will provide for them. I pray that you will keep them well And Lord, I pray specifically that they will be equipped for the work of the ministry. Ministry now and ministry later. Lord, right now I ask for your help. I pray that I'll say that which you would have me to say and avert something I should not say. Lord, I pray that you will be honored and glorified. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Preparing for blessings. I believe one of the greatest ways we can prepare for blessings is to be with one accord with other people. Maybe you have heard stories of churches that had problems as people argued over what I would believe to be our insignificant things. Do you realize that in some churches they actually vote on the color of the carpet? You talk about asking for trouble. A lot of churches have a lot of committees and they don't always get along. But God is pleased when we are in one accord. Can I tell you this? I hope you will be in one accord in your dorm room. For those of you who are married, I hope you're in one accord in your home. My wife and I have been married for over 40 years, and I'll tell you this, I hope that we stay in one accord. We've seen examples of people who don't stay in one accord, who are argumentative and don't get along. I've always thought, what a miserable way to live. Some years ago, we had a man who was hiring West Coast Baptist College students, and he came here, and he was helping train students on Friday night. He lived in Bakersfield, and he was going to start them working the next morning uh, getting petitions signed at Walmarts and Kmarts around the valley. And he was going to meet with them at 8 o'clock the next morning. What was 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night? It's two hours to Bakersfield. Two hours back, I said just stay at my house. He said, well, I don't bring any clothes. And I said, well, I've got a spare toothbrush. And I said, if you want to go to Walmart and get something. But I said, save four hours of driving. He goes, really? I said, sure, stay with us. And we invited him to stay at our home. And I remember he came in that night. I think I made him a grilled cheese sandwich. It was nothing fancy. It might've been a quesadilla, uh, two of these staple foods for people who are on diets. And uh, I made him a sandwich. I think it was a grilled cheese sandwich, a glass of iced tea or something, and, and we crashed. Next morning, showered. He was over here meeting with students. I went on to men's prayer, soul winning, that type of thing. Later that day, he said to me, he said, and he was told he had our house nine hours, 10 hours. He goes, your house is peaceful. And no one had ever told me that before. I said, I hope so. I hope so. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 165, he says, great peace of they which love thy law, And nothing shall offend them. Great peace to they which love thy law. Now, I'm thankful for my wife who grew up in a pastor's home, as did I, uh, who didn't go to Christian school, by the way, growing up. She went to public school, but she went to Christian college, and uh, she was taught certain things. I was taught certain things. By the way, just because you're in one accord does not mean you always agree with everything. But rather, you decide to be at peace. I'll never forget, my daughter Lisa was talking to my wife. She was home on a brief furlough from Thailand. And she said, Mom, she goes, I never heard you and Dad argue. She said, do you just always agree with him? I'm in the other room. I was reading. I said, absolutely. She always agrees with me. And then I heard her say, she goes, oh, no. She said, I just decided we got married. It was my job to submit to him hence being in one accord. Now that gentleman who stayed in my home that night has been through three marriages, three disastrous marriages, tragic marriages. There was not accord there. I hope that you'll say with God's help, I want my life to be in accord with other people. We have many things today here at West Coast Baptist College, here at Lancaster Baptist Church, that the early church did not have. Look around here. We've got two grand pianos on the stage. We have a sound system. How great is that? I realized George Whitfield could speak outside and be heard by 20,000 people. I would have liked to have seen that and heard that, but I certainly can't do that. Uh, We have a baptistry here. They had the Jordan River. I've seen it. It's muddy. Uh, We have the Walther Center here, what a great tool for ministry. What a great place to use. We have printed materials. We have gospel tracts that we can pick up as we walk out and carry them with us, and everywhere we go, we can say, hey, let me give you some good news that can tell you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. We've got a lot of things. How about comfortable chairs here? When my dad built his first auditorium at Faith Baptist Church many, many years ago, Circus 1965 or so, There was no carpet on the floor. And they had steel folding chairs for the chairs. It was not especially comfortable on long services. Now they have padded chairs like this. And yet, we take these things off for granted. But can I say this? Good churches have these things. Bad churches have these things. They might not have baptistries, but good colleges have these things. Bad colleges have these things. But the early church had something that might be missing sometimes today. And what they had was God's hand and power. I hope that you're praying for God's power in your life, for God to work in you and through you. Can I tell you this this morning? If you're going to have that, you need to be in one accord. This is a recurring theme in the book of Acts. If you're taking notes this morning, just write these references down because it says the same thing. In chapter one, verse 14 I just read, they were in one accord. In chapter two, verse one, they were in one accord. In chapter two, verse 46, they were with one accord. In chapter four, verse 24, they were with one accord. In chapter five, verse number 12, they were with one accord. Now, some of you might say accord, that's a Honda car. Well, it is that. And accord could also be power that was given to someone. But the dictionary definition I'm going to use this morning is going to be in agreement, at peace with one another. Are you in accord with other people? Alex, you certainly ought to be in accord with your pastor, Brother Cox. I believe you are. By the way, young people, are you in accord with your parents today? Or do you need to get something straightened out between you? The Bible says, if your brother have ought against you, we're to go to him. God wants us to be the peacemakers. Maybe you have that one roommate who bothers you. I say this every year in orientation with the parents. I was in dormitories for four years, always 2,000 miles away from home. Every year I had one roommate who was a little bit unusual. I'm not gonna give you a litany of things they did, but they were unusual. I can remember the roommate from 1975, his name was Doug. Doug was just different. He liked to stand in the middle of the room with headphones on, he loved classical music, he played the organ. You listen to E. Power Biggs, who I've never heard of since that time, but a famous organist with headphones on, with a conductor's baton in his underwear leading music. (laughs) I would say, Doug, put some clothes on. What in the world? But I told your parents if they came to parent orientation, if your child calls and says, I don't have anyone strange in my room, then you are probably the strange person, okay? (laughs) Just kidding. Every year, it's somebody. But can I say this? I hope you're getting along with your roommates. I hope you're praying for them. I hope you're encouraging them. The choice is yours. What are you gonna do about that? The early church, how do they stay in one accord? Well, they share the same goals. What's your goal as a college student? I hope it's to graduate and serve God. How about to have fruit while you're here right now? It'd be a common goal. That bigger goal will get you over little things that bother you. Like that roommate who's so obnoxious who hits their snooze alarm like seven times. Anyone ever, maybe not this year, but ever have a roommate like that? Oh, not good. My motto is when you wake up, get up. Uh, By the way, we gotta have the same vision. We gotta have the same purpose. And what what should that be? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. They were about the master's work. The Lord had sent them out to do something. That was the big thing on their plate. And God has sent us out to do something as well. And that ought to be the big thing on our plate today as well. When you're invi- involved in something that's bigger, other things go to the side, they're not as important. We have priorities in life. The pastor two days ago said his priority ought to be his walk with God. He's exactly right. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. My second priority, quite honestly, is my wife. My wife asked me to do a few things this morning. I did them. You need to memorize the verse, guys. Proverbs thirty seven thirty seven: Happy wife, happy life. Right. If you don't know where that's at, it'll take you a while to find it. What happened with these people who were in one accord? By the way, who spent 10 days praying. They turned the world upside down. So maybe you have not had that spirit of one accord in your life, but wouldn't it be great to start that right now? I think about that, then I think about God's hate list in Proverbs chapter six. If you read Proverbs every month, then I, I beg of you, plead, implore, cajole you to do that. You'll get to know the book that's God's wisdom book, but God has a list of things he hates in Proverbs six. We often mention the first one, a proud look, second, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked imagination, feet swift and running to mischief, False witness speaking lies. Isn't that amazing? He got lying in there twice. But finally, get this now. He that does what? Anybody know? Soweth discord among the brethren. So we have people who are in one accord who are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, Matthew chapter 5. And then we have those who are sowing discord. Stirring up trouble. Sowing seeds of strife. So I just don't like that person. Crucify our flesh. Is it not so easy, I know it is in my life, to see the moat in our brother's eye and we miss the beam in our own eye. If we're gonna be in one accord, we better not be those who sow discord among the brethren. Can you take a big problem and make it little or are you the type of Reuben who takes a little problem and makes it big? who gripes about it, complains about it, talks to other people about it. The choice is ours. Thus, when we feel our way is the only way, if we take the right spirit, our feelings will not be hurt. We're gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna to die to self. I'm gonna crucify the flesh daily. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Genesis tells us that the first sin separated man from God. The second sin separated man from man. It's sin that causes us not to get along. We know the story of Cain in Genesis 4. You know what it says about him? Interesting word, in old English word, it says he was wroth, W-R-O-T-H. He was angry. He got angry enough to kill his brother Abel. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now that we are believers, we ought to be peacemakers and not troublemakers. We ought to be helping other people to get along. During World War II, Hitler commanded all the religious groups to unite so he could control them. The Lutheran Church, which basically still preached the gospel at that time, bowed to what Hitler said. There was another group of believers called the Brethren Church. And interestingly enough, when Hitler gave that command, about half the Brethren Churches caved into Hitler, and half did not. Those who went along with Hitler had a much easier time. Those who did not faced harsh persecution. Many of those Brethren, by the way, that's a group like the Mennonites, the Brethren. Many of those Brethren believers who did not submit to Hitler and Nazi Germany were sent to concentration camps. In almost every family of those who resisted, someone from those families died in those concentration camps. That happened about 1943. The war, of course, finished in 1945. Germany went through recovery mode. People were able to go back to the churches they wanted to go to. But can I tell you this? In the Brethren Church, there were problems. The people who had paid a great price and had people in their families die in the concentration camps because they had not gone along with Hitler, were not too happy with the compromisers who had sold out. So while both were brethren, they were not getting along. Finally, they decided that this is not the way things should be. And the leaders from these two branches, the Brethren Church there in Germany, people from the same nation, people spoke the same language, they decided to get together. For several days, these men spent time in prayer together. They examined their own heart, the light of Christ's commands. And then Francis Schaeffer, who told of this incident, said this, what did you do then? He said, we decided to become one. We decided to have unity. They confessed their hostility and their bitterness to God. They yielded His control. And suddenly, once again, the Brethren Church were brethren and they had unity. What a great way to be. I don't know who God is speaking to your heart about, whether it's a parent, a coworker, a roommate, a friend, that you need to get unity back together. Let me tell you, it's a better way to live. How do we do this? Very simply this morning, number one, we need to look honestly at ourselves. We need to look honestly at ourselves. Honestly, soberly, sincerely. My flesh says, what's in it for me? My flesh says, what will I get from this? How could this be, be good for me? Our flesh says, am I getting what I deserve? I've spent a lot of time in this recently in the book of Genesis. What we deserve, ladies and gentlemen, is to go to hell. That's what we deserve. We're just a sinner saved by grace. Oh, I deserve a better room than this, or I deserve better roommates than this, or I deserve better food than this. We deserve to go to hell. And we are of all people most blessed. God's been so good to us. The Bible says, he that loveth his life shall lose it. Are we looking at things through the eyes of Lord Jesus Christ? I was getting ready to record something on video for someone and I went to the studio and I sat down, and all of a sudden, they turned out really bright lights so they'd have better quality. When those bright lights came on, I could see the dust motes in the air. I could see a, de- a little table over next to me that had dust on it. I think I could have written my name in it. I did not see those things until the bright light came on. Can I say this, friend? We need to shine the bright light of God's word on our life. The light of preaching on our life. And say, Lord, what do you want me to clean up in my life? Let's not be quick to judge others. Let's ask God to work on us. Years ago, there was a popular little button. It had a whole bunch of letters on it. It stood for this. Please be patient with me. God is still working on me. But can I also say this? Let's be patient with other college students. Let's be patient with coworkers. Let's give God a chance to work in their life. First of all, we need to look at ourselves honestly. And when we really do that, we're gonna be far less prone to criticize other people. Secondly, this morning, we need to caringly look at other people. We need to caringly look at others. We need to look at them through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all just sinners saved by grace. We're all just humans. And the best of men are at best just men. Let's be patient. Let's be long suffering. Why did they do that? Because they're human. Why did they do that? They made a mistake. Let's forgive it, let's forget it, and let's go on. The Apostle Paul covered that when he said, forgetting those things which are past, looking forward to those things which are before, the prize of the high calling. It might be a dating relationship I'm talking about right now. Don't hold grudges. Put it behind you. Go forward for the cause of Christ. Now, I don't wanna discourage you here this morning, but I'm gonna tell you in advance that people will disappoint you sometimes. People will fail you sometimes. Can I say this? Love them anyways. I work with jobs here with college students and sometimes people, they do something wrong or they quit or they don't show up for work. And boy, I'll tell you what, in my flesh I want to get upset. And we shouldn't do those things. We ought to have a good testimony, obviously. But you know what, folks? Let's give people another chance. People will fail you. They will criticize you. They will disappoint you. Can I say this? Let's be in accord with them anyway. We need to go on anyway. And then thirdly this morning, let me say this. We need to look at the multitude. We need to look at the multitude. The need is great out there, my friends. The Lord needs you in ministry. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth the laborers in the harvest. A prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. With that in mind, we're not going to be as concerned with the temporal, the temporary, the little things that bother us. Only let your conversation be as we come of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast, Listen now, in one spirit, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, if we keep our eyes to the same goal, I is not going to be as important. He is important to honor Him, to please Him, to glorify Him. To be effective fishers of men, I have never fished on a boat where there was a big net. I went out with Mrs. Weaver's brother, Joey Ford, one time at the bay in Tampa Bay, and he had a casting net and he caught some fish with that. It's kind of interesting. It's got weights on it, it falls down and you pull it in and whatever's in the net, you bring it in. But the nets that the disciples used were much larger. They were huge nets. they put them out through the Sea of Galilee The nets would be attached to the boat on one side. They'd throw them out there. Then they would let the boat drift away and hopefully the fish would swim over it. Then they had ropes attached to the far end and all of them in the boat would start pulling those ropes so it would fold over on itself. As they kept pulling, it'd pull more and more and more then the whole net would dump into the boat. You understand the concept. Can I say this? They all needed to pull the same way. They're all pulling the net towards the boat because they're trying to get fish in the boat. We're trying to get people in the church. We're trying to see souls get saved. So we need to be pulling the same way. Are we going to be in one accord? (laughs) Frederick the Great, who helped unify Germany, head of the Hohenzollern family, said this. The more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. Maybe you thought that about your roommate. Can I say this? They'll make mistakes, but love them anyway, because God wants us to be in one accord. I read a little story one time that I don't think I'll ever forget. And someone personified tools in a tool chest. People didn't like Brother Hammer, because he was always pounding on people. People didn't like Brother Saw. He was always cutting people down. People didn't like Brother Screwdriver. He just kept going around and around in circles. People didn't like Brother Ruler, because with him no one would measure up. And people didn't like Brother Sandpaper, because he rubbed people the wrong way. But one day, a carpenter came in. Shall we say a carpenter from Nazareth? He took those tools, and he cut, and he sawed, and he hammered, and he screwed, and he sanded. And he made something beautiful. And I believe that God could work in us and through us to do something that will count for the cause of Christ. Don't let someone else bother you, but rather live in one accord. Two quick practical applications were done this morning. Number one, learn to control your speech. If you're going to be in one accord, you have to be careful what you say. You know, in my classes, I mentioned something. I read a book called Winning with People by John Maxwell, published in 2004. Think before you speak. T-H-I-N-K. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it important? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Let me give that to you again. Think before you speak. Is it true? T. Is it helpful? It can be true, and you shouldn't say it. Oh, I've said some things that were true. Have you ever looked at someone and said, Man, you're having a bad hair day today. They probably already knew that. You were not being a Barnabas. They made him feel bad. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it important? Is it necessary? And last of all, is it kind? Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Think before you speak. Control it. James says this well in James chapter 1, verse number 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I've read many times, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Swift to hear, slow to speak. You may have heard this before. If not, I'd encourage you to write it down. If your lips... Would keep from slips three things observed with care. If your lips would keep from slips, three things observed with care to whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how, when, where, and why you speak. If your lips would keep from slips, three things observed with care to whom you speak, of whom you speak and how, when, and where you speak. Can I say this? The Greek philosopher Aesop told another story about a donkey. And one day he found a lion's skin. He put it over himself. He began to strut around like the king of beasts. He frightened many animals. And suddenly, a fox came along, and that donkey, when he scare him, brayed. He didn't roar like a lion, he brayed like a donkey. But the fox, hearing the donkey's voice, said, If you want to terrify me, you'll have to disguise your bray. Clothes may disguise a fool, but his words will give him away. Abraham Lincoln said, Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt. Swift to hear, slow to speak. I have got myself in trouble by talking too much. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. First, learn to control your speech, and secondly, learn to control your thinking. Just decide right now that you're going to live at peace with other people. You're going to be the kind of person who's going to be in one accord. Maybe we'll start living the verse that says, in honor, preferring one another. Preferring one another. Putting other people first. Maybe we could sing the song, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Let's ask God to help us to control our thinking. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Help us to die to self, to crucify the flesh. Do you realize that love your enemies is a command from God? I hope you have no enemies here in this room or this college. I really hope that. If we're supposed to love our enemies, should we not live in one accord with those who we're here with? You say, Dr. R., that's easy for you. You've been ministry for a long time. You're the vice president. You know, sometimes people on staff do things or say things that's hard for me to be in one accord with. And I'll often pray, say, so, Lord, help me to respond correctly to this. Help me to say the right thing. That's what we need in our church. That's what we need in our college. We need people who will say, "I want to walk in unity," uh, not just on Sunday, but on every day. I'm sure there's some of you who are at home as they screamed at each other and yelled at each other, and all the way to the church. And all of a sudden, they pulled the parking lot. Everybody's happy, happy, happy. No, we got to be in accord all day long, every day long. And I believe if we do that, we will be a better testimony to the love of Christ as we show the love of Christ to other people. You've listened well today. Let me tell you one more story and I'm done. This is a true story from history. This happened during the 4th century, the 300s. At that time, the Romans, of course, had the games, as they were called, In the Colosseum, the Circus Maximus. And they would go there to watch and cheer for their favorite gladiators who tried to fight and win their freedom. The bloodshed was enormous. Rome literally would send galleons to Africa to bring ships back with sand to keep covering the floor of the Colosseum. It was brutal beyond comprehension. I won't go into details. Would make our mixed martial art fighting look fairly tame. They didn't want people to have time to run around. So they would strap their legs to a piece of granite. So they're sitting on the granite strap them where they could reach the other person, but then beating the person up that way took too long. So they'd beat them up. They have spikes on their hands. To make it bloody enough. You know the things that happened with the animals. It was horrific. What they did was Christians was beyond the pale. But a man by the name of Telemachus visited Rome, and people were in a fever of excitement. They were thronging in the streets, and he said, "What's all the excitement about?" They said, "Well, today is the day of the games, which, by the way, started out once a month, went to once a week, then it was multiple times a week." He goes, what are the games? He goes, well, people fight and kill each other in the Colosseum. He thought to himself, four centuries after Christ, and we're killing each other for enjoyment? By the way, 20 centuries after Christ, and we're still arguing and criticizing other people for enjoyment? Being sarcastic with other people for enjoyment? I think that would run the opposite of one accord. So he ran to the Coliseum and he heard the gladiators say, Hail to Caesar, we die for Caesar. They would then salute and say, We who are about to die salute that. And he said, This isn't right. And he jumped over the railing, went out in the middle of the field. He got between two gladiators. He held up his hands and he said, In the name of Christ, forbear, or stop. The crowd protested and booed him. They began to shout. They said, Run him through. He said, again, in the name of Christ, forbear. One of the gladiators took his sword and hit him in the stomach with the butt of the sword and knocked him down. He was gasping for wind this big, strong man having done this to him. But he got back up and said, in the name of Christ, forbear. And with that, with the gladiators took his sword and Ratted through him. Blood began to pour from him. He fell to the sand, which for the first time that day began to be stained crimson with his blood. He was still alive, though, and not with full voice. He twisted it up and said, In the name of Christ, forbear, and slumped to his death. A hush came over the 80,000 people there. A stillness. Then a man stood and left, and then another, and then another, and soon 80,000 people left the Colosseum. History says that was the last known gladiatorial contest there in Rome. One person wanted to have peace. I wonder what fight we could stop if someone says, you know, I just want to live in one accord. I want to have a time of blessing here at West Coast Baptist College this year. I want that. Pastor wants that, Dr. Getch wants that. I believe the Lord wants that. So maybe we could just forbear our criticism, our sarcasm, our arguments, and seek to be in one accord. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this challenge to me about being in one accord with others. Realizing that brothers don't have to be twins, but we should get along.